comes from Psalm 17, which is the alternate passage for this sermon today. Text I'm preaching this morning, I chickened out on and begged Mark to let me preach the parallel uh, in the lectionary, which is Psalm 17, because it's really nice and comforting. And whatever, God tell whatever you want to do, man. Oh, I can still switch it up. I'm really good spontaneously. Uh, we'll be out by three. Um, okay. okay. So anyway, I. Uh, I I was looking at these two texts, and actually I was really intimidated by the passage of Scripture that I was called upon to do today. And I tried as late as midweek to chicken out. And the more I tried to chicken out, the more the Lord said, you know, it is my word and everything. And uh, (laughs) I went, okay. Um, So here I am, all right? But we live in this really progressive, informed culture in the Pacific Northwest. And we're as progressive as they come. You get any more progressive than us, and you literally fall in the Pacific Ocean. Um, So... Uh, everything's relative, it all depends, right, is the, is the world we live in. And today we come to a text that reminds us that, no, everything isn't relative. There are some things that are really, really good and some things that are really, really bad. In seminary, when you do a sermon, they make you do this. Most pastors make the mistake of not carrying this practice on, but they, they do this. They challenge you to make a statement, a purpose statement for your sermon before you actually preach it. So my purpose statement after reading this was that everybody here would be as freaked out as I am about it, and that secondly, they'd be massively comforted by the reality of God that comes up against literally the evil in the world. Because for those of us who are soft and relativistic and we want to see the positive side of everything, um, that's wonderful. But sometimes we can cause ourselves problems because we don't realize the magnitude of evil and, and the anti-God forces that are in the world. So I want to I share a story. Uh, when Nancy and I were in theological seminary, we met this wonderful older gentleman then, retired like I am now, um, that was a professor of theology. When he was a little boy, Samuel Mikulowski was living in Serbia, and there was an ethnic cleansing right before World War II. Nazi Germany was rolling all over Europe, and then on top of that, there was an ethnic cleansing war in, in the Balkans, and the Serbians were on the uh, bad end of the stick. And so Samuel and his family were fleeing for their lives. His dad had already been shot and killed in Serbia, and his uncle was leading the family out. And during part of their, their flight to Western Europe from the Balkans, um, machine gun fire literally sawed Sam's uncle, the leader of the group, in half. And he watched that as a 12-year-old kid. They finally escaped to um, be moved to Canada, and they lived in eastern Canada and became a preeminent theologian. And he was best friends with a guy named Carl F. Uh, Henry, who was the father of modern-day evangelicalism here in America. So I had this guy for Systematics 2, which is the life and teachings and work of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it was an amazing class. And Sam and his wife, Jesse, uh, along the way, adopted Nancy and I. We had a little baby, Rachel, with us. And Jesse would hold Rachel while we did theology, stuff like this. They're a nice couple. So one day in class, a, a fellow um, student of mine, we were hearing the idea of Jesus facing off with Satan. And uh, this fellow... Highly informed intellectual with a philosophy degree from uh, one of the well-known universities uh, is just not buying this conversation about evil that's being done by our professor. And so he pauses uh, Dr. Mikulowski and he says, I'm sorry, professor, there's no actual Satan or evil. It's all kind of relative, you know. Evil is just lesser good and good is 
lesser evil. And you know, it's all on a gradient. It's not like you're saying in this old time religion with Satan and God and opposites and all of that. Mikulaski stopped. I can't, I don't, was he two or three shades of red, Nancy, before he responded? And I'm trying to construct what he said. We were both in the class, and my recollection and Nancy's were different. And whenever that happens, I adapt to Nancy's recollection. Um, so here's my recollection of what he said. I, I wrote it down. I fled my home country amidst an ethnic war. I saw my beloved uncle sawed in half by a machine gun. I have visited the Nazi prison camp called Bergen-Belsen. I walked to the pond in that camp. I sifted through my own hands amidst the water the incinerated remains of a quarter of a million Jews that were annihilated there. And you, you say there's no evil? Just like now, there was quite a little pause in the room. And you think about it. Emperors Nero and Diocletian and Domitian incarnated evil and everything that was anti-God in the first century. They lived into everything God despises. They, they took babies that were unwanted and bashed them against walls to, to kill them. They took Christians who were imprisoned for being vocal in their face. They covered them with pine tar, tied them up on stakes around Nero's courtyard, and he lit them as evening dinner candles for his parties. This is not stuff I'm making up, okay? In the Second World War, Hitler exterminates 6 million Jews, countless gypsies, homosexuals, no less than 18 million German and Russian citizens, and I haven't even gotten to the Allied casualties. Satan's pal Adolf really incarnated, incarnated everything about evil. Idi Amin in Uganda would have his enemies for dinner, but they were the main dish. Saddam Hussein slaughtered family members, including a brother's, brother-in-law, in meetings when he disagreed with them. Uh, in Zimbabwe, President Robert Mugabe, finally taken out of this world, unleashed an army of bulldozers. He bulldozed down 350,000 people's homes because they didn't look nice in the slum on the new roadway he'd built to his Olympic Stadium. I don't know how you guys react to that, but I just see that like in the Psalms. How long, O oh Lord? How long? How many more examples do we need to see that evil is real and that evil takes uh, residence in human beings to wage war against God and everything that's loving and decent? How long, O oh Lord? How long? And are we aware of how deceptive evil is? The Roman emperors were hailed as local heroes. Hitler was a model political leader reestablishing the pride and dignity of the nation of Germany. And all those charmers got permission to do their thing and weren't discovered until it was too late. That's one of the problems with evil is those of us who don't want to conscience it often tolerate it too long. And it took some really heroic people in my dad's generation to rescue us from the reign of evil that might have taken over the world. That serious. Well, today we're going to look at a somewhat obscure and somewhat troubling text. And I think it's meant to wake us up as Christians. Paul gives this to us as a gift in 2 Thessalonians 2. And I'm just going to read it to you, make a few comments this morning. We're going to come to the Lord's table. If you're freaking out about evil, good. If you're comforted by the fact that God meets evil with a greater strength and that he uses us to vanquish it, we'll celebrate that at the Lord's table at the end of this time. So I'm kind of giving you to the end before the beginning here. But um, 
Here's the text. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly allegedly from us, whether by a prophecy or by word of mouth or letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness, I'm taking his Satan here, is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He'll oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Think about the people through history and even in our culture who would like to establish themselves in this role. So the text carries on at verse 5. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you about these things. And now you know, and, and now you know what's holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. And the secret power of lawlessness, working behind the scenes trying to look decent, trying to look relative until it matures. But the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he's taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow. And I want to come back to this in a few minutes, but listen to this text. This lawlessness, the evil, the embodiment of evil in the world will be overthrown by Jesus with the breath of his mouth.